Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know absolutely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, is my co-host, the skeptic, the voice of the people, the little devil on my shoulder, Kristen Studdard. Hey, Kristen. Hello, Joe. <laughs> uh, Kristen, we are in a new theme month, and oh, no. you don't know this. I recorded an episode, uh, we re-ran an episode last week, which was a yes. hint to do, our listeners. Do re-ran? <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was working it. I don't know. I mean, but that doesn't include a, a month at all. So mm-hmm. you didn't come through. No, but I just mean like I knew that we did a I did, Duran, yes, Duran I did re-run. do a do re-ran last week. I re-ran our Duran Duran episode from like three years ago. So that's your hint. That's also the hint to the audience. I didn't tell them what the theme month was, but a rerun of Duran Duran was involved and it is July. We can't repeat last year's because Foo Lai does not uh, apply to this year's inductees. Okay, wait, so, oh, 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 wait, because I know that today we are going to clown on Rob for not thinking that Pat Benatar would get in, but for Rage. some reason believing that Rage was going to get, not yeah. voting for Pat and then thinking, being sure that Rage was going to get in. Yeah. So this is an important part of today's proceedings. Uh, and so why waste any more time? Why don't we bring in our guest who is a writer, a, a, a voter for the Rock Call. So he's been on our show a few times before. Let's on bring him in. On the wrong side of history. <laughs> Let's bring in, Let's bring in Rob, Rob Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum. Hey, Rob. So should I just say up front, should I stipulate that I'm an idiot? Yes, is, absolutely. And I would also help? like to establish that you're an idiot. As per the agreement, as per the bet, which I, if I recall, and people can listen back, but it was that you were so confident that rage against the machine was going to get in and we were so sure that they were not that it was established that you would then have to come back on the show and be on the receiving end of our attitude i'm the clown at the (laughs) arcade with the red nose who's sitting above a barrel of cold water making fun of you and your family while you're throwing balls to hit the target to drop me in the freezing cold water Yes, and we are ace pitchers today mm-hmm. because you're going you're going in that water. You lost the bet, so confident, and yet it's so, so wrong. sure, so confident that you didn't even vote for them. You were like, "Well, That's rage right. doesn't need my vote." What if that was the deciding vote? 
there's no way it was. There's not even a chance. You know, though, I will say, I think that like since we last talked, we talked about uh, uh, Kate Bush and kind of her resurgence or whatever. I do think that like with the amount of anger and political turmoil that we are in, I think rage could be coming this next year, like we could be seeing just people are mad enough. Uh, did, did you guys hear that Canadian radio station a few nights ago? Did you know about this stunt? I know about it because you were tweeting about it quite quite a lot. I do uh, not know about this. There was a radio station in, I think it was in Vancouver, in Western Canada for sure. And they were undergoing a format change. So as a stunt, they, for I think it was close to 24 hours, uh, they played the same Rage Against the Machine song over and over and over. And it was killing in the name of, right? It was killing in the name. Yeah. Uh, and people would call in and say, hey, could you play something other than this song? And the DJ would say, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. I'm so sorry. And then go back to killing in the name. Now, how did that feel for you as someone who personally <laughs> kept them out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Did you feel stupid? I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I spend most of my days feeling stupid. Mm -hmm. And today, uh, and, you know, and Joe, my recollection is I prefaced all of my predictions by saying I'm almost never right. Mm -hmm. And yet I, I the think confidence I gave you that disclaimer. It's it's a real combo when you get someone who's stupid, knows they're <laughs> stupid and yet is so confident in the things that they say. <laughs> It's really, it's a marvel to, to behold. It's why I, also, I don't go to Las Vegas. <laughs> I also recall you being against voting for Pat and thinking that she wouldn't get, it was like you weren't going to vote for her because you thought there's no way she was going to get in. Is that correct? Um, I don't Joey, recall that. I was, on, <laughs> I, I was on the fence about her anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think what I said about Benatar was, in a different year, I would vote for her. I hope she gets in. I don't know if she was one of my top five candidates on, you know, what was a, a pretty strong slate, right? Who did, mm -hmm. who did, do you remember who Rob voted for? I can, uh, find, I can find that out, yeah. Okay, can I say who I think it was? I think he definitely voted for Duran Duran. Mm -hmm. That's true. I we remember that. I'm trying to remember literally anything else. I remember who you didn't vote for, Pat and Rage. Do you vote for Fela Kuti? No. No, but he did, of course. I mean, where? Oh, yeah, where, New York Dolls. Yeah, I was going to say, where, where is Rob? New York Dolls, of course. And then of a course. vote. No, uh, wait. Is that so? That, of course, right? That that aside, let's that's analyze. That's a New that. York rock critic. We don't need to analyze it any further. Yeah, no, it's just we tend to, especially with those episodes, we tend to talk to New York based rock critics. And you're even, you're not even quite the yeah, you're younger the target than the demo target demo for the I, dolls. I, yeah, which I is, never talked to at least six people who are at the you know Mercer Art Center in the 70s. When it and collapsed. So, yeah, exactly. It, they're the bullseye <laughs> for the dolls, but the fact that you are a rock critic in New York, you know, there, it felt there, are, cool. there are a lot of things that you guys can pin on me, including being a total moron. Uh, but Which, let's not let that uh, go to the wayside. No, you are, I, I'm sure we'll be coming back to that. Dumbass. Uh, go ahead. But it's not like I was living in New York in 1972 and was friends with Paul Nelson when he signed the band to Mercury Records. I, I think my 
attraction to the Dolls isn't because I'm a New York music critic, which I am. They're a great band. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny. That's what you think. (laughs) Uh, But from the outside, it's very clear to us. You're like, it's not because I'm in New York. All right. Whatever. (laughs) You guys don't like the New York Dolls. Wow, we don't your dolls hate are the fine. It's just dolls. typical. It's just we it's just, just that's who we talk to. Are people who vote for them? Maybe and they, those are the people who vote for them. Maybe it's typical because it's right. Now, nah, well, that again, there's there's you being a dumbass again. <laughs> uh, you voted for Judas Priest, yes. which we we are on board with. You voted for Dionne Warwick, another one that we're on board with, and I believe you left that last slot open to be chosen after our recording was done but based on a subsequent facebook post you did see the light and you went with the trap called quest which was Not a lot of good it did at the very least you can say you tried mm-hmm. with, with rage you you said i don't even need to try <laughs> then you kicked your feet up and you knocked over your your pot of coffee <laughs> you know we haven't talked about in a while we haven't talked about Benatar. Well, here's the deal. I want to talk about Benatar. Uh, okay, so today. what is the theme of this month? Okay, if it's July, July mm-hmm. 80s, the 80s. I was just trying to think like Duran Duran and Benatar. Yeah. So what happened? What what, what what kind of important thing happened in the 80s that maybe Duran Duran and Pat Benatar were a part of? Were they part of like Live Aid or something? July Aid. That'd be no. a good one. That's <laughs> not, not terrible. If they were, that'd be a good one. Oh, in the eighties, there was um, the. What's Cold like the War. most important thing for Duran Duran specifically? Benatar. MTV, July TV, July want my MTV. You got it. I That's got it. it. Okay. It's July want my MTV, and who better to kick off that month than the author of the book I want my MTV? Rob Tannenbaum. Got it. July want my MTV. It's not that bad. July Vade. I'm pretty impressed with myself. I mean, you came up with, <laughs> I guess, next year. We'll, we'll see who gets in. But we'll see who gets. I don't even know who who was at Live Aid. Willie Nelson. That's your. You're thinking Farm Aid. Farm Aid. Who's at Live Aid? Famously, Queen. Oh yeah. I want to say Duran Duran was there, but they had broken up and they got back together, and it was not. It was kind of contentious. Uh, but we're not talking about Live Aid. It's no. not your Live Aid. Get get your mind right, Kristen. It's July. I want my MTV. And I, I thought for this, all right, we we reran Duran Duran. There's a lot to talk about with MTV uh, and these artists. This is a very MTV year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, any year that Duran Duran gets in is going to be an MTV year because they're such a uh, they're kind of like the prime example of kind of the MTV phenomenon, but Rob, let's, uh, let's, we can, let's have a conversation about MTV. And I want to focus in on some of these artists specifically from this year, but I want to get a little background as to kind of what MTV means to you and why did you write the book? Uh, <laughs> I, I wish that there were an aesthetically pleasing answer to this. I mean, the, the really embarrassing fact is there was an editor who wanted the book written. Mm. Uh, it was not my idea. It was not my co-author's idea. She knew my co-author's friend and agent. And so, you know, there were a couple of people she talked to and she said, we seemed like the, 
the right people or at least the affordable people to get uh, the job done. You're right. That isn't a super pleasing answer. Yeah, I, you know, it's, I mean, it's not like, oh, I woke up every single morning dreaming about writing a book about MTV. Uh, you know, it's, it's, but honestly, that's, that's a little bit what journalism is like, freelance journalism. You write what somebody wants to pay you to write about, and now and then you get to write about stuff you really want to write about. Did you watch MTV a lot uh, when it first came out? Were you part of that? Well, yeah, when it came out, what were your thoughts, I guess? Well, I, I didn't see it. My parents were cheapskates. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. They did not believe in cable TV. I'm not sure that cable TV was available in Stanford, Connecticut. Cable came to suburbs and small cities before it came anywhere else, because that was that was the least expense. No, least expensive. Yeah, that was the least expensive cable that could be laid. If you were going to wire cable in New York City, it cost, you know, 100x per square foot, whereas in the suburbs, it, would, it was x per square foot. So conveniently, MTV came first to suburbs and, and small cities. I don't know if it came to my small city, but, you know, my parents were very content watching Barney Miller reruns, you know, almost on a 24-hour loop on Channel 11. <laughs> Oh, they, yeah. they, I, you know, I, I can't even remember what year it was when we got a flat screen TV or even just a color TV. I mean, I grew up. A flat screen TV comes much later. Yeah. I, and, I remember, and you mean just the screen, like it's still, it's oh, still like got not an a, ass on it, but it's just not yeah. rounded. I, I remember turning the channel on a black and white TV with pliers because the knob had broken off. Damn. And you guys were, uh, you were all uh, huddled around a, a trash can fire, uh, right? Yeah. Am I getting this image correct? Just watching Ed Sullivan in black and white. Yeah. We took in borders. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was the first talkie you saw, Rob? <laughs> Can you walk Ask us me through what that? Dinosaurs. Ask me if it was hard living with dinosaurs. Going if- to the old... Uh, Nickelodeon with a with a hay penny. Um, <laughs> well, let's uh, yeah, well let's talk about MTV. I mean, you mentioned cable and specifically MTV. You know, famously the the day it debuted was not available everywhere. In particular, was only available in certain select cities. Yeah, like in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or or Lowell, Massachusetts. Pat Benatar claims that she she and her band were on tour in yeah. Oklahoma and were able to catch MTV on that first day. So it made it to Oklahoma, but not to Stanford, Connecticut. Do you think Pat is lying? He just shook his head. Rob yeah, was like I, dubious I, about that. He's like, yeah, right. We heard that from a couple of people who said that they watched it happen live. And that's pretty much impossible. If it was, you know, we could probably research where Pat Benatar was on tour on August 1st, 1981. Uh, Even if it was available in that city, no one knew about it. There there was no advanced publicity about it. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew that this network was going to come on the air, largely because nobody thought it was going to be a success. Everybody thought this was the stupidest idea they'd ever heard. The advertising business thought it would fail, but so did the music business. You know, bands thought it was absurd. One of the one of the interesting parts that Pat Benatar plays in this, and and Eurythmics in a way too. MTV once it 
got re really underway, right? When it goes on the air in 1981, they're just playing whatever they have, which is not a lot of videos. So they're playing Journey and REO Speedwagon and 38 Special, not because these bands look great on TV or are dynamic, but just because they made videos. Uh, and, and MTV didn't have enough videos to, to fill the day. And then these other bands come in, right? Younger, better looking, hipper bands who went to art school maybe and know a video director and they start taking over MTV and the old guard starts disappearing. Except that Benatar and the Eurythmics kind of were the old guard. I mean, you know, not exactly Janis Joplin, but um, they had careers that predated MTV. And most of the hit acts whose careers began before 1981 didn't do so well on, on MTV. Benatar and Eurythmics did. Right. Yeah, they're, they're good examples. Uh, Benatar in particular of an artist that had to pivot maybe reluctantly, uh, but had to adapt for the MTV age. But uh, Benatar was the second video ever on MTV, uh, You Better Run. And the video is just them standing around. <laughs> Go ahead. Can I tell you something I learned about You Better Run? Uh, famously, the first video was Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. Video killed the radio star. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a deep thinker to figure out what, what the message was to that. But the, there was also a message to the second video, You Better Run, and that was MTV's message to the record companies. Like, you, you better pay attention to this because everything's about to change which of course it didn't uh, until about three years later. Why did it take three years? It just took three years before enough people had cable? That was part of it. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the crazy things about the launch of MTV is it was a platform for a product that didn't even have a name. If we all got in a time machine and went back to 1981 and we said music video, no one would know what we were talking about. The term did not exist because there were almost none of these clips. Early on, when MTV went on the air, they didn't know what to say they were programming. And they would have to go through, you, know, you, you can read a Time Magazine article from 1982 about the launch of MTV when it started to have some success. And they're still using this tortured language to explain what it is that MTV is playing. So, the 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 words it's like when they were trying to explain the internet in the beginning and you see all those clips that are like the world wide web yeah it's a we don't have the vernacular yet where people right. you yeah you the, the on ramp to the information super highway yeah so it was sort of a case of two people or two groups waiting for one another saying you go first no you go first mtv and the record labels Right, MTV couldn't succeed without the record labels giving them new and better videos. But why were the labels going to pay for that when MTV didn't have any viewers? And you know, honestly, the thing that that changed, the thing that saved MTV was Michael Jackson. Uh, they were two and a half years. MTV was two and a half years into their corporate existence. They'd burned through millions and millions of dollars, despite airing a product they never paid for. And 
they had probably about three months left. They probably had another quarter to turn a profit. And if they hadn't, then Warner Amex, which was the original owner, would have pulled the plug. You know, if you're a board member at American Express, you're not really thinking- It was Warner American. Gosh, it's just how long have we been doing this for, huh? It it was a joint- We love a media conglomerate in any way we can get one. A joint product of Warner Communications and American Express. Uh, And they sold way too early, but you know, that's a a different story, I guess. (laughs) So not that many people are watching and why would you watch? You know, look at look at those lists of videos from 1981. As Joe said, oh look, it's the band standing in front of a brick wall. Uh, oh yep. look, it's Kevin Cronin from REO Speedwagon on a therapist's couch with the worst acting job you've ever seen in your life. Please go Google that that video. I can't remember which song it is, but it was one of their big hits. And then Michael Jackson comes along, you know, this one of the most ambitious, not just creatively, but in terms of success, one of the most ambitious musicians who's ever lived. And he decides he's going to make the best videos of all time, which he starts doing. And, you know, MTV what's doesn't want to- What's the first video? What's like his, I'm, is, was it Billie Jean? What was the first big video? That was the first big one from Thriller. Yeah. And the, you know, the, one of the great issues of dispute in our book is MTV says that when they got Billie Jean, they were excited and delighted and couldn't wait to play it. And everybody on Michael Jackson's side, from his record label to his ex-manager, lawyer, you know, we had 10 different people say, no, that's, that's nonsense. We had to force them to play it. The version of the story that comes from CBS Records is uh, MTV would not add this video, which, you know, now we all realize is a a fantastic thing that MTV should have been grateful for. But, you know, yeah, Michael Jackson was black and there were not a lot of black artists on MTV. The guys who programmed MTV came from radio and they were programming rock radio stations where it was extremely segregated. They weren't programming pop stations where, you know, you might get an R&B act next to, a, I don't know, a hard rock crossover act. So MTV was really enforcing their version of the playlist, right? This is what America wants. This is what our research says America wants. Hmm. So it's hard to believe that when Michael Jackson delivers these videos, all of a sudden MTV says, yes, absolutely. Let's get some Black people on the network. They claim that that's what happened. They claim that they did not have to be forced to play it. And everybody on the, on the other side says, no, we had to tell them that we were going to pull every single CBS video they had if they didn't play Michael Jackson. Well, look, I believe MTV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why, not? why wouldn't you? Yeah, Why would they lie? What? Uh, yeah, I, I, I fully believe their side of the story which is that they were on the right side of history yes, and, and of the thing that were. everybody says yeah. they didn't do they were totally doing why would yep. you believe yeah. that why wouldn't you i want to talk a little bit though about leading up to to that moment because you know thriller and the michael jackson videos really shit it started a new era of mtv where suddenly the artists you know started shooting on film and you know the the videos 
had to be good. But there's there's stuff that goes on. Oh, and also that, couldn't be in them. Yeah, that, right. that Ario Speedwagon video, I believe, is for Keep on Loving You, according sounds, to yeah. my uh, quick Research. Google of Ario Speedwagon therapy mm-hmm. music video. That first day of MTV, Pat Benatar has another song called I'm Gonna Follow You, which is the 30th video played, and it would be played two more times that first day. I'm gonna follow you, you better run. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's a one-two punch. You, you better run, but I'm gonna be behind you uh, yeah. on your tails. And then oddly enough, the other artist from this class who was played that first day is Carly Simon, which is an un- unusual one. What uh, video? A song called Vengeance is played. Hits. No, these are, I mean, this is Carly Simon's lost period, you know, uh, late 70s. Yeah, the lyrics just came up on this. And the first, the the first lyrics of this song are that dangerous driving baby, the policeman said, (laughs) I can smell the passion of another man on your breath. Uh, And also, (laughs) there was also a song called We're So Close. about a hundred songs later. Um, so so here, here's, here's what you have to remember though. This isn't just a 24-7, 365. They don't have any commercials yet. Mm. They didn't have any commercials to show. So they've got 60 minutes of every hour with a catalog of something like 150 videos. Nobody kn- knows or remembers exactly how many, but it was somewhere between 100 and 250. Was there anything notable that started happening with regard to like record sales or anything? Like, did it start to to pay off a little bit? And it sounds like it took a while, but I guess I'm just wondering, yeah, like what was the, besides the Michael, like before Michael Jackson, was it like vengeance wasn't suddenly climbing the charts again? (laughs) Well, I mean, remember I mentioned that it was in specific markets and that was something that they could look at and be like, why is Duran Duran doing so well in Lowell and Tulsa specifically? Like, what's the connection there? Yeah, Tulsa was a big deal. But but first, because this just popped into my mind, imagine being a band that made a video that didn't get on MTV that first day. Like you sent your video to MTV (laughs) and they didn't play it. They're so desperate. And and you're sitting home and watching it. You're like, wait, they, they keep playing Benatar, but they play PhD. Yeah, they, they played Blotto. this PhD who didn't even have a record deal in the United States. Yeah, so things were not going real well at MTV. They were having trouble proving to anyone, uh, you know, especially the record companies would say, why should we pay for these videos and give them to you for free? It doesn't help us at all. And so uh, a couple of the executives, one of them was John Sykes, who's gone on to have a, a, an illustrious media hmm. career yeah around. he might even be the chairman of a certain <laughs> hall of fame hmm. yep he and i think it was tom freston uh went down to tulsa oklahoma where uh, mtv was you know they, they was one of the early uh cable hubs and they went into a record store you know they started going record store to record store and they found exactly what it was that they had been praying would happen which was some record store manager said yeah, we, there's this band, 
uh, Duran something and we can't keep those albums in stock. Well, the rock radio station in Tulsa, Oklahoma was not playing Duran Duran. So if those records were selling, the only way that, that any kid knew about them was because they were watching MTV. So, you know, John Sykes and Tom Freston basically flap their arms back to New York because they're so happy. And now they've got proof that this is working and that record companies can sell more records. And that's when the budgets start to open up. And it's, I mean, we, we glossed by it quickly, but the MTV was not paying for the rights to these videos to show them, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. I mean, it's what, it's what helped keep them alive, but the idea was that, well, we're, we're playing these and it's like promotion, so we don't have to pay you to play your music videos. Right. And uh, an important legal mind who helped to strike that deal for this scheme, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Irving Azoff, somebody. Would be the only attorney to be inducted into the this, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The one who's getting in this year. Alan What's his Grubman. Name? Alan Grubman. Great. Our first attorney he, inductee. I'm glad he helped just the future of, you know, musicians not getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I, mean, I guess labels not getting paid isn't the worst, worst thing, but it doesn't help. Were there VJs in the early days? Oh, yeah. Was yep, like right. Martha Quinn on there in the early days? Like who who were the, like, so they were, so they had 60 OG minutes, team. but they had like, you know, I'm trying to remember who else was a music, a VJ that I remember from growing up, like Martha Quinn, Adam Curry, mm-hmm. uh, probably Kurt Loder. Not yet, but you know. You know Kurt, Kurt, spent, <laughs> Kurt spent the first few years of MTV uh, on staff at Rolling Stone, where he wrote article after article about how much MTV sucked. And then they hired him to do the news, to be the yeah. uh, the gravitas that so they the, so desperately needed. The initial five VJs were cast like you would cast a uh, a movie, right? You know, we we have to appeal to everyone. So there was Martha Quinn, the adorable girl next door. There was uh, Alan Hunter, the sort of goofy Midwest kid. Mark Goodman. Uh, the curly-haired, brooding music aficionado. I'm trying not to say Jew, but I mean, that's sort of what, you know, Mark Mark was the Jew. J.J. Uh, Jackson, the uh, the hipster, uh, the black guy. You know, they, they needed to have a black guy. Mm-hmm. No sure. knock against J.J., who in some ways was the best of the five DJs, but that's that was the role that he played. And then, um, who am I leaving out? It says, oh, Nina Blackwood. Right. So Nina was the um She the was like the, the rock, yeah, the, the rock, rock chick. Yeah. Sultry rock chick, yeah. You know, we haven't talked yet really about Duran Duran, who are an important part of the MTV story. Uh, but why don't we take a quick break first, and then when we come back, we'll get into that. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. You, you crushed a 10-year-old's dreams. <laughs> just f- <laughs> fully, and it could be a stranger. I actually preferred to be a stranger. We are here with resident dumbass Rob Tannenbaum talking about MTV, 
where he is slightly less of a, a dumbass. Uh, you know, there's there's some information in that brain that is useful to us despite his otherwise complete idiocy. So let's talk about Duran Duran because they are important to MTV and MTV was important to them. Uh, in your book, you call Girls on Film the most influential music video ever made. Care to expand? Well, it, it set a, a template for one of the key themes or tropes of music videos, and that was half-naked girls. Hot girls mm-hmm. prancing around in leotards. Uh, I mean, you, if you turned on MTV uh, any given day in 1985, the odds were about one in three that within 30 seconds, you'd see some girls prancing around in leotards. And that Duran Duran video is the, the thing that hit on the formula. And that formula is the wrong word because, I mean, and entertainment is, has been selling sex for a long time. It was only a matter of time before MTV was going to do that. You know, we talked about the, uh, the Duran Duran records that were selling in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Even before that, Duran Duran was selling tickets, uh, concert tickets. And it was because they had made this video that was exclusively to be shown in, you know, there, there's an X-rated version of it. Right, uh, I mean, MTV it's not, did not, yeah, play wait, the full X-rated cut. X-rated version of it? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, right. Is as soon that as I like an that, 80s X, though? Yeah, there, there's no penetration. No, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's really more like R or... NC-17 or something like that. Not suitable for television. There's like nudity, okay. What's what's boobs? Bare boobs? Yeah, I think that's nudity. The word would be nudity. Okay. I, you know, in my house, we shower with our clothes on. So uh, Mm -hmm. nudity is not really a thing I'm familiar with. Yeah, they made this video to be shown in nightclubs, which had started showing videos even before MTV came on the air. And that video... You know, was, I mean, how many cool, trendy rock clubs, nightclubs were there in the United States? 15, 20. But in those 15 or 20 cities, Duran Duran started becoming very popular. And so it was this music video is like a, it's like a combination of runway slash mud wrestling. Uh, right. Which, you know, and the, the music business is, you know, based in New York and Los Angeles, two cities where there's no shortage of really, really attractive people, particularly women. Uh, and so inevitably this, you know, the, the, like if you don't have a great idea for a video, what are you going to pitch the band? Hot chicks. And they'll be, o- they'll be open to it, if you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, they They're, might be willing to get on set with these women. <laughs> uh-huh. Or, or um, uh, take them uh, back. Rick Springfield. Offset. You know, one, one, of, one of the things we asked people was... Uh, did you ever have sex with anyone who was in one of your videos? And um, Rick Springfield said, oh yeah, extras. I loved extras. Extras were fantastic. All right, Rick. What horror. I, you know, here's I, a thing that I keep having to remind myself is just that we are 
You know, in some ways things haven't have changed and in some ways they haven't. Like you really couldn't talk about sleeping with people who have no power right, on a the set power anymore. Dynamics, uh... <laughs> you really couldn't openly just be like it's amazing like those chicks will let you do anything because they don't have any power in this and uh I hold all, all the cards and for some reason they just seem to really uh be into me. I don't know. I don't uh, know what it is, but I'm allowed to do anything and they will uh they'll say yes. What could it be that's so different between me and them? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, well, and also I think, uh, you know, I just think about like what it was like to grow up literally on, you know, MTV started the month I was born. I was in utero when the first video was uh, making its way mm-hmm. onto the airwaves. And, you know, it's like my whole life has been dictated by a lot of the things that were popularized and shown on MTV. It's just so... And like you, I guess I grew up not even questioning it. Like I grew up not even just being like, yep. And then there's MTV spring break. And that's when I'm 11. And I just watch all of these college students Mm -hmm. grind on each other in Daytona. And that's what I think my life should be. Or that's what I think is. Do you aspire to? Because you see it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. That's the power. The most problematic phase of MTV was probably the hair metal phase. Uh, even more than the, you know, foppish British new wave, new romantic phase. And the, well, the, and the, the Duran Duran videos, though, set the hair metal template, though, even though they were not hair metal. Yeah. It was like you look I mean, that was when I was super we had MTV in my house. I'm six years old. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, all the stupid you know, what's the Cinderella and like those Aerosmith videos from the eighties were just literally mostly women in lingerie, just hanging around. And uh, at, at that point in the network's history, there was a woman in charge, uh, Judy McGrath, who was a, a very smart, politically progressive woman. There were other women in key positions in the programming department and they didn't like these videos. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that the videos objectified women, they didn't like the music. It was not the kind of music that they enjoyed or wanted to be playing. The problem was it got ratings. And if they would start to phase out hair metal, they would see the ratings go down. They'd bring back hair metal, ratings went back up. So they were kind of caught playing uh, a type of music or a, a style of video that they thought was kind of gross, but was paying the bills. Yeah, is the eternal struggle capitalist, capitalist, uh, you know, it's almost like there is no some issues here to deal with when it comes to capitalism. Uh, Uh, Yeah, but kind of before that turn, you know, you had Duran Duran with ladies, you know, skimping around and the heavy metal guys took them and put them in cages. That's cool. Yeah, you know, uh, it's fun. It's a metaphor. The kind of new wave explosion really was fueled by MTV. And when we look at this year's inductees, Duran Duran is kind of like at the at the front of the line, but Eurythmics as well. The flair for the for the visual uh was in such stark contrast, as we said, to the classic rock artists who had no interest in making an an interesting video. But then you've got Duran Duran trying stuff and you've got Eurythmics who they don't I mean they just without even having to do anything, look They look weird, cool. you know, yeah. and look different. And Annie Lennox in particular with her gender bending aesthetics. Uh, and then, But then Dave Stewart was, you know, he was kind of the visionary behind 
you know, he was like obsessed with cameras. He was constantly taking videos and, you know, he was committed to making music videos that were strange, you know, that would have not just Annie Lennox in a suit, but also a cow for some reason. Yeah, a cow. Yeah. Why not a cow? Why not a cow? Why not cut to a cow? I don't know, Uh, man. It's a dream. Who knows? He says, yeah, he says in your book that uh, he was... He stepped on a gold bracelet on the street and then was like, huh? And then took it to a pawn shop and like traded it in for a video camera. And that was like kind of the start of his obsession with filming stuff. I thought you were going to say he traded it in for a cow. <laughs> yeah, no, I think beans are, that's the going yeah. rate for, for a cow is a, is a bunch of beans. And then, you know, when we talk about the dominance of, Duran Duran, one of the things that they had leg up in against the kind of competition is that Simon LeBon not only was pretty, but had acted professionally. Oh, so he was out there, you know, giving drama, serving he, to the camera. I mean, a lot of musicians were uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, this was not a thing that they were used to doing, but but Simon made love to the camera. You might say. And the extras. And huh? <laughs> and famously. The extras. They wouldn't answer the question about whether they had slept with any uh, of the women in their videos. Yeah. But you know they did. Answers the the question, but also, you know, uh, I think some points in terms of decorum, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I would say the Hungry Like the Wolf music video is kind of an an important tentpole on the timeline of, of MTV. But that's one that was shot on location in Sri Lanka, used kind of Apocalypse Now as its inspiration, okay. you know. what if it was Apocalypse Now? <laughs> but uh, it was Hot Women in the Jungle, stay with me now, and there was no murder. Just what if that? Uh, and, you know, it, w- it was videos like that, and also the Rio video was was huge, which was in shot in Antigua on a yacht. There's a debate, by the way, whether or not that qualifies as a yacht. I'm not a yacht guy, but I have heard people say that's not a yacht. Well, yeah, I think technically, I was looking this up because I was curious too, because it's a it's a small boat. And usually you think yacht, you think like mega yacht, like huge. Um, and I looked it up a and I think- A boat that's on a boat, a boat that has a boat on it. Yeah, right. that you could tow a boat, a boat toter. But uh, I looked it up and it, yeah, the, the term yacht technically, I think, is a, is a pretty broad term. And I think it just means like you're on a boat having a good time and it, it becomes a yacht. But I think also, there are people with a much more narrow definition. Well, and who's out here arguing about this? I, I That's funny that you both knew about this, uh, you know. Well, it was a, it was a question I had just because I had seen I had was reading in, in Rob's book and they were calling it a yacht. And then I was looking at the video and it's just such a small boat. My like internalized definition of, of what I thought was a yacht was different than what I was seeing, which is why I looked it up. I, I spent about three years doing nothing but thinking about MTV. So there isn't much obscure stuff that, uh, you know, didn't cross my, my mind. Yeah. He, he, I mean, Rob goes deep, even though again, Huge dumbass. Uh, <laughs> cares absolutely about the work. wrong about most things. <laughs> uh, doing his best. Uh, but Duran Duran. Sure. Honestly, guys, I don't think I'm doing my best. Oh, all right <laughs> then. I, I, I mean, I'm at, at this stage in my life. I'm barely trying. 
Yeah, I mean, I the, feel you on that too. Honestly, same, the, Rob. The, the listeners didn't see this, but earlier in our conversation, you did casually stick your hand into a toaster, and so it was uh, evidence that yeah, you're you're not on your A game. No, uh, I, I don't know that I have an A game. Yeah, I don't think so either. Especially given that you're wearing a dunce cap, you don't think A when when you see that. That that's not the letter that comes to mind. It, it's the kick me tattoo on my forehead. Yeah, that I, I think mean, puts people off. Yeah, it it's certainly you, especially when you expect that to be on a piece of paper on the back. The fact that it's tattooed right. on your forehead and that it's backwards lending credence to the fact that you did it. You looked into the mirror and you, anyway, there's a lot of questions. Not, oh boy. We can't get, we can't get into them all today, but I, I want to talk about Dur- <laughs> Duran Duran's, uh, you know, they were kind of saddled with the, they became like, you're a video band. You know, they yeah. were so good at these uh. music videos that, you know, that they felt like they weren't getting the cred as musicians and they are more, they were less a band that made music and more so a band that made videos. Yeah, which always made me wonder what's wrong with making videos. You know who made videos? The Beatles. Yeah. Rolling and, Stones. I mean, the Beatles made movies. The, the reason, one of the reasons that there are so many Beatles books, aside from the fact that people love the Beatles and uh, they were one of the greatest bands of all time, they had thousands and thousands of photos taken of them. Same thing with Bob Dylan. Now, who, who's more credible than, than Dylan? There's so much film and video footage and, and photos of Dylan. The idea that being vain and wanting to document yourself uh, and, and that's incompatible with being a good musician, that, you know, that's, to me, that's, that's stupid. And if some, I mean, I'm stupid. So if something is stupid to me, <laughs> yeah, well, it, you better nah. believe. Is it super stupid, or then is it like the reverse where come it's back around? Smart? I think it makes it super stupid, <laughs> uh, unfathomably stupid. I, I was hoping for that. I mean, if if Duran Duran suck, which they don't, if they did, it would be because the music isn't good, not because they made videos. Videos don't have anything to do with the music. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's only a, a limit you can go if you're a, a bad band that makes good. Well, videos. this was also still during the time of when selling out really meant something or of like kind of some weird rock purity stuff going on. And so it's sure. like what's cool is to be hot, but not in a way that's gay. And what's cool is to play guitar like you're jerking off, but like not in a way that's gay. And they're like, these guys are too hot. They're wearing makeup. They're somehow chicks are into them. They're, they can't be good. You they're know, not, like not gay. They're not not gay enough. And we hate them for it because it was a lot of aggressively straight male culture happening which you know crosses over with fear of a fear the queer i guess you know uh, yeah well you know what's what's got i mean this isn't one of the inductees this year and never going to be an inductee but the i think this the story of what happened with with billy squire is what's really instilled a lot of gay panic which was that he was in a video directed by uh kenny ortega Love Kenny Ortega. Absolute and, genius. <laughs> and, and he, you know, Billy kind of let Kenny do what he wanted. And, and Kenny, did, I mean, he put uh, Billy in like a, 
I don't know if he was necessarily in a, a pink leotard, but you know, he was the choreography was people claim it killed Billy Squire's career. Cause it was, it was not the macho rock uh, vibe that he wanted to go for or that his audience would put up with. And certainly that's how Billy Squire sees it. You know, I, I spent a long time talking to him. He, he does not often talk about that video. He he came over to my apartment. Wow. Like, uh, well, where do you, he, I think he, he lives in Midtown, okay. New York. And I'd be like, well, where, where, where do you want to meet? And we're having trouble figuring out a place. I said, well, you know, you, you could just come over to my apartment. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, which is a very unpretentious thing to do, right? Not not on my part, on uh on his part. So I, I, I liked him and, and I liked the fact that he was honest and, and forthcoming. Is there some homophobia in what he has to say in the book? I mean, it's, I, I think he would say that it's not his homophobia. What he's talking about is the way homophobia hurt his career. Uh, and he's pinning that on Kenny Ortega. So mm-hmm. maybe that's homophobic, but I, I'm not sure that I believe Billy Squire. I I don't think that Rock Me Tonight ended his career because when I went back and looked at the at the records he made after that, there aren't hit songs on those records, right? It's not like he made a song as good as The Stroke or uh, Everybody Wants You, and it didn't get on the radio mm-hmm. because A A O R radio programmers thought Billy Squire was now kind of fruity and adolescent boys were afraid of him. I think the songs just weren't there. Yeah. And and he was maybe and, at the end of what would have been his natural cycle. Yeah. And looking back tries to pinpoint what went wrong and there and that's an easy target is that video. Every career has an endpoint, you know, whether you're a literal one hit wonder. I don't know who's the biggest one hit wonder of all time. You guys tell me. Los Del Rio of the Macarena. <laughs> whether, whether you're Los Del Rio or Paul McCartney, there's a time when uh, the zeitgeist moves in a different direction from you and you're just not writing hits anymore. The, the, the hits dry up. Uh, yeah, and I, I think those two things coincided. Uh, I'm going to look and see if I can tell you which singles came out. After Rock Me Tonight, it, it's yeah. pretty grim. It's no no songs that I've heard of. The next album's lead single would be a song called Love is the Hero. Right, which charted at number 80. Now, if, if it weren't for the Rock Me Tonight video, which, which by the way, Rock Me Tonight video was 1984. Love is the Hero came out in 1986. So it's two years later. And there's, in a way, a whole new generation of, of kids who are watching MTV. Could Love is the Hero have charted at number 72 instead of number 80 if it weren't for Kenny Ortega's video? Maybe, but it wasn't going to be a... a top 20 song the way the stroke and uh and oddly enough rock me tonight were rock me tonight was his biggest top 40 song yeah started right. at number 15 it was bigger than the stroke how big was lonely is the night that's my favorite billy squire song i talk about it maybe too much on the show Didn't i really chart. like that song Didn't, Didn't well chart. It, it, 
on it charted the, on the AOR chart, right. but not, um, yeah, not on the top 40, yeah. top 100 charts. It's a shame. I really like that song. Um, <laughs> you wrote some good songs. You did. Yeah. He's got a handful of, of uh, bangers, as you might yep. say. Ah. But let's, let's coin a term. <laughs> yeah but let's let's go That's back it. you heard it here first joke was Allah. yeah people are going to be saying bang you, you, you pay attention watch out um, set an alert slang teacher slang teacher when we uh talk about these inductees and their kind of mtv career kind of the last chapter of it is what we talked about which is what happened after the michael jackson thriller videos came out Suddenly, there's a lot of money in in music videos. There's the production value has to go up, and you know Duran Duran they were the they were the music video veterans at this point. But now you know their shoots, which had been on location, now they're shooting over several days in Greece and spending a million dollars on the Wild Boys music video. Dang, worth you, it. And you even see, I mean, Pat Benatar. The videos that played that first day on MTV, it was just her like in an abandoned warehouse singing with her band. And then this is where you get Love is a Battlefield, which has a a very uh, direct connection to Michael Jackson because Michael Peters, who was MJ's choreographer. Choreographer, yeah. Yeah, is involved in, you know, everybody felt like they had to dance after Michael Jackson. And Pat famously is is one of those artists who then and it you know it worked for her somehow uh despite her reluctance uh but then that love is a battlefield video is is one of the classic videos i don't think she loved dancing do do either of you want to assess pep benatar's dancing skills she doesn't look super comfortable in that video it's not like she's out there like ah i'm finally free Right. You don't feel like something within is finally coming out, uh, liberating her. But I will say that, and this is no new observation, but Pat's reluctance to do videos and or dance, the attitude on her face reflects in a way that makes sense. Because she's like a tough rocker chick. And so the fact that she, you can kind of scan her face and see that she's like, kind of pissy fits the music yeah well and also you know i think it's kind of like these are like women street walking women i don't think they're meant to be doesn't seem to be like a big old joyful thing it's like we're getting out of here she's leading a dance off she's leading a dance off against a pimp yeah it's like stuff to pull off I, i i've tried that and it's not easy yeah just be glad there was not a camera there Right, and you didn't have a song to promote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll be releasing the video to our Patreon subscribers. We don't have a Patreon. Yeah, but, this is uh, a, this is what this is what starts it. <laughs> it's our Patreon exclusive. Uh, and so, so the last, you know, I, I I I looked for the inductees in the index of your book, Rob, to to kind of find these these stories and these uh, quotes, Lionel Richie you know, obviously had some, some big videos. And uh, my favorite thing I learned in your book about Lionel Richie is sometimes he would show up for a day shoot for a music video at 9 p.m. and say he overslept. <laughs> what? God bless him. I uh, love that for him. 
but the uh, I, I'd say the the iconic Lionel Richie music video would be "Hello" with the clay bust or the you know his the blind woman making the clay head of Lionel Richie. Yes, well, that's also one that you know got a resurgence when we were. I like don't remember that music video from when it was airing or no. whatever. I remember it from the like parody commercial. Was it like a Mentos commercial or some kind of, was this when Skittles was just going wild? With it was, commercials? it was, it <laughs> like, became, it became like a, a cultural pop cultural touchstone. Uh, and that's how it was like, it was a meme it. before the yeah, internet right. was really doing that. But before we completely move on from Duran Duran, can I just mention to you guys, they released their cover of Bob Dylan's Lay Lady Lay as a single. Lay Lady Lay, lay across my big brass bed. You think about that, Duran Duran released Lay Lady Lay as a single and it charted in one country. Was it our country? <laughs> <laughs> lay Lady Lay by Duran Duran charted at number 18 in Italy. When was this? This was the covers album that they did in 1995, which also had their version of White Lines, Don't Do It. What? Have you, have you, know, you guys have never heard the Duran Duran covers album? No. No. Yeah, they, they covered White Lines. White Lines from uh, the Grandmaster. No, no. Yeah. That's a uh, Sugar Hill Records song uh and sylvia robinson is being inducted this year had to bring it back to the inductees this year listening to that they are actually ahead of their time because that is some like rap rock kind of with a dj in it like that feels like it came from the later 90s from like the yeah. Kind of like Austin Powers soundtrack kind of era where it's Looks, like yeah. we're taking a thing from before and we're putting a DJ on it and and also kind of like a pre a precursor to rap rock. You know, limp if you had told me when that started that that was going to be a limp biscuit cover, I would have believed you. Harsh words. I ca I can't believe that. I hate it. On this record and wow. other records uh, Duran Duran worked with a uh, songwriter and producer named Jonathan Elias, who figures into our story because Jonathan Elias's most famous composition goes da 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 da. That's right. Da, He's da, the da, MTV theme song da, 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 composer. Oh. He wrote the MTV uh, guitar riff jingle whatever that's called. The other artists that are inducted this year, in my estimation, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, don't have a meaningful connection to MTV uh, of this era. Dolly Parton, Judas Priest, you know, probably got some play. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Judas Priest was, uh, I, I, I think one of the first times I became aware of Judas Priest was as a recurring gag on Beavis and Butthead. Mm. Breaking the law, breaking the law. That's for sure why I knew about them. Judas Priest was a good, they were a good singles band. They were a, a good pop metal band, among other things. They, they had some good singles. And then obviously it's a completely different era. I would say Eminem's music videos were a big part of his explosion, but obviously that was a good nearly 20 years after 
the beginning of MTV. Yeah. Uh, well, Rob, resident dumbass, any final thoughts about MTV or or this class of inductees or anything else you'd like to say or atone for? I, I guess I'd, I'd like to uh, formally apologize to Rage Against <laughs> the Machine for being the reason they were not inducted this year. Yeah, uh, and that's and, big of you. Which disproved my pet theory that um, the biggest rock band on the list always gets in. And you know what, what we'll say is that you can make an argument that Duran Duran. That the biggest rock band on the list did get in, yeah. yeah. But, I would say that Duran Duran is certainly bigger than Rage with regard to kind of like cultural ubiquity and popularity in that regard. But uh, I think the real lesson here is uh, we're just trying to help you, Rob. Just listen to us because we're, we're, we're here to help. And- I, I regret nothing. Okay. Oh, well, wow. What is the, okay. what is the definition Com- of stupidity? Certainly not a chasing man. Making, yep. making the same mistake over and over. Well, uh, Rob, thank you for joining us here. And uh, not just talking about MTV in your book, but fulfilling the agreements of the bet. Thank you guys for mocking me so gently. Yeah, we could have gone tenderly. harder. Yeah. For real. I mean, once you hang up on me, then you can really go in. Yeah. That's, we'll do most of our roasting uh, as soon as you leave and be like, cool. Oh, Good. That guy. guy, what a dipshit. Um, I'll just say that while you're here. Yeah. You know what? What a fucking dipshit. There you go. <laughs> that felt good. Uh, well, Rob, the book is I Want My MTV. Anything else you'd like to plug, your social media, what have you? No. <laughs> yeah don't bother do you want your iq to go down then follow rob on twitter i guess uh and of course our listeners know they can follow us at rock hall pod on twitter and instagram rock hall pod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see that you need to designate that somewhere in your message otherwise i'm not going to send it she doesn't want to see it subscribe to us on apple podcast rate review us five stars only thank you to mike lloyd for the logo thank you to yusu kim for the music and thank you to pantheon podcast for hosting us I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.